Hello and welcome to Two Nerds Sitting on a Couch, in which two nerds sit on a couch and discuss science fiction and fantasy. This is Two Nerds Sitting on a Couch, talking about Dune, an epic tale of religion and revenge, love and betrayal, politics and power. Jessica is the worst Bene Gesserit she really is on the planet on the planet she is told to bear a daughter for the purposes which she must know of a 90 generation long breeding program it's at least 10,000 years yeah the universe's super being yep but no she but loves no. the Duke and has a son instead, which kind of screws everything up. I mean, if she yeah. if she had just had a daughter, everything would have been fine. Okay, but they could have sealed the breach between Atreides and Harkonnen. Right. They could have had their their super being, which they knew was due, mm -hmm. and and instead, no, no, yeah, what they got was Jessica. Being a whiny baby about stuff, and then to top it all off, okay, no, 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 she has no, a no. son. Okay, let yeah. There's a huge shit show involving everybody dying and them escaping. Yep. So she gets in with the Fremen, who then give her the water of life, which is supposed to turn her into a reverend mother, so that she can see within whatever. While knowing full well that she's pregnant, yes. And ends up creating Alia, who is technically an abomination. I think, like, it's not just technical by the end. Like, by the end, it's, like, clear. Yeah, she's actually she's, like, an abomination. Straight she's, like, straight up. By I mean, at Baron the beginning, Harkonnen, you're, like, it turns out, that's, like, like, mean you know. to call a baby an abomination or whatever. But by yeah. the end, it's, like, it's... No, I no. mean, but it's a horrible thing to do. Like, because, okay, can you imagine if you had achieved consciousness? Like, mm -hmm. full adult consciousness... In the womb. So in like, utero. what are you going to do? You can't get out. Nope. You're, just, you're, you're in there. You're chilling. Yep. Like, you're just, it's like. That's you, probably even better than you're being not hungry, an infant you're not where. Whatever. You're like. But you're completely sealed off from the world. So you are bored to tears for the next however many, six months. Right. Even three months. Three months locked in a sensory deprivation chamber. Yeah. Like. You know, I mean, if I were that kid, I would spend all of my time tapping in Morse code on my mom's fucking bladder. I would be like, Mom. Do you think that maybe that's Mom. what the kids were doing maybe. when they were tapping on my bladder? Morse code. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean. I so don't know like, Morse code. According according to everything that the Bene Gesserit hold dear, Jessica is the worst Bene Gesserit in the history of Bene Gesserits. Yeah, no, she's since fucking terrible. Since recorded time... Bene Gesserits have been working towards one thing, and Jessica just fumbled the ball all over the field. Yeah. And just well, pretty much, it, like, gave gave up all of that ground. And it makes me wonder, like, so, I mean, the Bene Gesserits are all about having kids. Like, that's, yeah. I mean, you Because that's know. what women do. Yeah, right. <laughs> Obviously. It's just, they like, women are good and, at having babies. And, like, social circles. Yeah. It's like a big knitting club. Exactly. It's a knitting club and having babies. So she only has one. Well, two eventually. But I mean, like, part of the problem is that, like, you know, there's no air and a spare, man. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, the whole thing is... And then... But I just, like, each time... Like, so we've watched a couple iterations, and I just read the book. And, like, each time she goes through the Reverend Mother ceremony, I'm like, this is such a fucking boner move. Like, <laughs> this so is such a boner move. So like awful. you Like, even if she didn't know, like, obviously initiates are not told like everything about you know the final ceremony bullshit she had to have suspected that this would well, be she knew she was pregnant right sure. no but she had to have suspected that this would be a major i mean maybe impact she thought that her. it wouldn't get through the placenta <laughs> okay but no but I, like the, I, mean, I don't know i have a feeling that like the water of life would be expressed through your breast milk you have to like pump and dump after <laughs> After a good, like, water of life totally orgy. Have to <laughs> but she oh wouldn't. my god, no. She totally wouldn't. She wouldn't. She's a bad parent. She's an irresponsible <laughs> she's mother. She's terrible. Oh my god. And she's a god. bad I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just, I kind of feel like, I, I kind of feel like that's the thing that I got out of this this time because I get something new every time I experience Dune. Mm-hmm. I get something new out of it. And what yeah. I've discovered this time is that Duke Leto was an idiot and Jessica was an idiot. And like, and basically, I think Paul was I, also an idiot. And it took it took the grandchild to clean up all of their messes, become the God Emperor, and once and for all make everything so that nobody would ever forget. Right. That Although they screwed everything I, up. I do. I do have to say <laughs> that I, I I think it's kind of interesting that you've come around to like Leto too, who is the literally the most annoying person that the universe has ever produced is like the right one. I mean. No, I always thought he was. I, really? I just. You're the one who hated the God Emperor. I, yep. You I were mean, correct. I've always, I have always thought that the God Emperor was like a necessary part of the story. No, I, I understand that it's a necessary part of the story. It's just that I think he's like literally the most annoying person that the universe has ever produced. I think he he would agree. Yeah, no, uh, probably, and that's part of why he's so annoying. <laughs> yeah, he's also completely untillable. He can't even kill himself. No, he can't. He oh my god! So we just finished watching Dune: The Extended Version, yep. which I believe aired on the Sci Fi Channel, mm. and then Dune: The Director's Edition, which is not by Alan Smithy. Um, and watching them back to back was really interesting because. Um, I... No, no, it's not by Alan Smithy because it's actually by David Lynch. Like, we're talking specifically about the David Lynch Dune. I don't no, think we're... we said his name out loud. Yeah. Did we? The short, the short, the director's version was the okay. David Lynch one. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I'd never seen them back to back before. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen, I'd seen the original director's version um, maybe, maybe twice. And then I, once I found out there was an extended version, I was like, oh my God, who wouldn't want to watch the extended version? Mm-hmm. The extended version of Lord of the Rings is the definitive edition. Like, that's what you watch. It's all good. Like, they didn't, they didn't like, add in stupid deleted scenes that didn't need to be in there. Like, like for example, they did with, <laughs> as it turns out, Dune. Because watching them back to back, you start realizing that when they cut out parts of scenes, they were cutting out chunks that, either edited for time so it's like we need to tighten this up or they just cut out stuff that didn't matter but the problem was they also cut out stuff that did matter like right. anything gross anything yeah. gross at all like no, no. Baron spitting on jessica 
cut out. And it's like, why would you cut that part out? It's right. really dramatic. No, I mean, it's like, because again, like, so my background with the movie is like, this is my entrance into Dune, mm-hmm. is that I saw this very young, probably the, the not. director's version first. Well, I, the, I don't think the other version existed yet. You know, oh, I mean, okay. I saw it not long after it had, it had been made. Mm-hmm. Like, long enough that it was on, like, it would have been VHS for sure. But um, but it might it might have been like I don't know eighty seven probably wow I saw okay. it like a year or two afterwards okay for sure I saw it first at a sleepover at Susie's and then I know that we then watched it over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. like because we just thought it was like we just kind of couldn't believe it is this before or after you'd seen Twin Peaks. Well, Twin Peaks didn't exist yet because this movie is actually um, Lynch's third film. He first mm-hmm. did Eraserhead, which is like... I've never seen. It's very much like an art film, like an art student's, a <laughs> film student's first film. Mm-hmm. Like, you THX know... THX 1138. Yeah. Sci-fi. More like, <laughs> more like Pi. I liked Pi. I did too. I'm that just saying... That was not an art student's first film. Huh. Oh my god. Just because it's in black and white, would you say the same thing about The Lighthouse? Well, okay. (laughs) Whatever. Actually, that might be an art student's first film, but they managed to get like Robert Pattinson. I I don't mean it in a bad way. I am just saying. It's like, it's bonkers and kind of grotesque. And I mean, it's it's completely lynch as hell, you know? The next movie he did was um, Elephant Man, which I believe, you know... I think that a number of those actors were up for like up for or won Oscars. Mm-hmm. And that speaking of black and white, that was in black and white. And then Dune was his next film, which is kind of fascinating. And oh, then the one after that was Blue Velvet. He's such a Chinese medieval of films. <laughs> no, it, it, definitely like at the beginning. Genre. <laughs> it was yeah, it was definitely and like, he, what's fun for me? Oh, it turns out Super weird. Yeah, right. And I like well, he and like he's super into like grotesquerie and um and he's all. I mean, there there are there's ways in which I think you said this earlier that like this is the least Lynchian of films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's true. But there's definitely things like he's sort of fascinated with nuclear families. He's fascinated with the grotesquerie under the the surface of of uh, society mm-hmm. and like. And I can see why he would be attracted to Dune because there is all of that like sort of familial like pressure. And there's also a really like I think there's a really solid component of like um, psychological states and consciousness throughout Mm -hmm. his stuff. You know, like the whole like the Black Lodge is all about altered consciousness, like higher awareness you right. know, I mean, and that's that's like really the like the central theme in in Dune. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like he keeps repeating over and over again, "The sleeper must awaken." You know, I mean, he's right. He's talking about like this this sort of consciousness, like tra- transcendent, which I think human that, consciousness. You know, I mean, when Hodorowski was was originally envisioning this project. That was his goal was to achieve that kind of consciousness, like raising that that awareness by watching sort of the movie in, itself, indu- inducing it in yeah. his audience. And and I think that it's it's really kind of funny, like watching that and then watching Dune right after because he he praises Lynch. He's like, oh, I mean, now I feel horrible because like he's he's 
one who could make my movie. You right. know, like the way I envisioned it, whatever. And even though, like, obviously it didn't, <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> the movie he had. He had no, been, and it's no. not because, I mean, what Lynch did was Dune. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't some crazy space opera where the planet achieves consciousness and zings off into the galaxy. No. Making other planets aware because that didn't happen in the book. That was, that was, that was Hodorowsky that raping was the... Frank Herbert. <laughs> and... Oh, I still can't get over that. <laughs> But I, I, but I think that, that like, you know, I mean, ultimately, it is Lynchian in that sense, where it's, you know, it's this, this sort of, it's about these psychological states, it's about awareness, it's about, like, this, the, your, your sense of self and its place in the universe. Right. You know, because it's very well placed. Right. You know. But then, to, speaking to, so, yeah, so anyway, for sure, I saw it a, a, I don't know, half a dozen times before I was 18 and then, you know, and then smack like through, I, I don't know. I've probably seen the movie a dozen times mm-hmm. at least. Um, and huh, for sure. I probably have not seen it that many times. I, yeah. Well, I mean, that's my entrance point, man. Like I mean, that's. I feel like I've seen the extended version maybe four, four or five times. Well, and the original version, yeah. like maybe twice. And I kind of can't think Three of the first so. time I saw the extended version, but I kind of feel like it was like on cable, and maybe I wasn't paying that close of attention to it. Yeah. It was kind of well, in the I just background, the, like the intro, and I was like, because they have all the storyboards and drawings, mm-hmm. which were not part of Hodorowski's storyboards. This was a new concept artist who had done these kind of sketches of various things. Which right. is the, you know, watching the extended version this time kind of put me off the extended version. It's so bad. Um, it, is, it is terrible. Especially it's when terrible. you compare it back to back with the original version. It's dumb. It's, like there's, yeah. there's so much voiceover that is unnecessary. And even though Lynch's has voiceover, I feel like that was a concession in a lot of ways. I, I but feel even like... so, he did it better. And in the extended version, there's all this stuff about like the Balerian Jihad that nobody cares about. It's not it's, even necessary. It's not relevant, you know. No. It's like, and here's why we have Mentats, right? And, and, he, and it's here's like, why cares. we have the start in Medius Ray. We have Bene Gesserits and Mentats. Move on. Nobody I mean, cares. This might be controversial. I don't know. I mean, I actually kind of love the Irulan like fading in and out and, oh, and my God. delivering. Oh, I forgot to tell you. That bugs me. I, well, that's fine. I think it's kind of great. Like I don't having know your why. narrator forget to tell you things is like, oh my god! I did don't you, know. Did you not read the script? Well, and I guess that's like that's <laughs> that's something that I find very difficult about watching it is that I find it hard to turn on my critical analysis <laughs> brain. I can't. It's hard because yeah, it's too it's too much your, I your just, childhood. <laughs> I fucking love it too much, you know. Like I can't yeah. I can't criticize my baby, man. Yeah. And and so I mean, so I guess on like some level, I get that that might not be good, maybe. Yeah. But I just can't. I, mean, I just I, can't I do see remember, it. Like the first time I watched it, I remember thinking, if I hadn't read the book, I would be so lost right now. Yeah. And then he goes on to like do a bunch of stuff that's not in the book, like the weirding way. Where and that's the I think the most egregious and that plus making it rain at the end where it's just like oh my god he pulled a page out of Hodorowski's Dune where it's well, like you okay. know that's not how it ended stop raping Frank Herbert agreed at the agreed at the rain but you and I have always disagreed about the weirding well I just modules. I think that, that one of the things I really liked about the Bene Gesserit training was that it was physically it was rooted in the body where you're like there there are these great descriptions um, not. In, in Dune, but I think in, in one of the, the either children or, or prophet. Um, Not prophet. Uh, children of Dune and. Oh. That's the. 
Second Children one. of Dune is the third one, I believe. The second one is... Dune Messiah. Dune Messiah, correct. Um, <laughs> this is embarrassing. It's been a long time since I've read this. Yeah, no. Um, but there's there's a scene where Alia is doing her Pranabindu training, and she's like flexing her her like one pinky toe. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of of all of this Bene Gesserit training is that you can isolate parts of your body, mm-hmm. and 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 you are so well versed in your own body. I mean, think of like a, a like a, a you know Cirque du Soleil performer, like a, a circus contortionist. Mm-hmm. They are a master of their own body. In many ways, like the Benedict the body is an, an instrument. It, it is, and and that's the very thing that allows them to do things like transmute um, poison into non toxins, mm-hmm. like the the water of life into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a alcoholic beverage for a party. It's not. I think it's, it's a really great party. It's, Tr- it's, turning it, water into wine. It's, it's <laughs> like MDNA because, like, actually, I never thought about that. They're, literally, it's turning water into wine, it, water of life into a drug that everybody right. Because I mean, like, that's what they do. Is that, like the Reverend Mother transmutes it, and then they literally have an orgy. Yeah, they all drink it, and then and then fuck flip out. Yeah. But but that's the the mechanism by which you can do that is that it it sort of expands your consciousness to the point where you can take all of that training and focus it on a molecular level in your own body mm-hmm. to create the catalyst that that then neutralizes the the poison so you don't die and it's it's like part defense mechanism part awareness expansion mm-hmm. and then and then you also encounter all of your genetic legacy all of your relatives. Or, or at least for the Bene Gesserit, it's all the female line in their mind. But for Paul, it was both. Mm-hmm. And and they just sort of then, you know, right. they, they hang out in your consciousness. You you have all of their memories. You you can access their lives. Right. And you become this communal person, you know, this, this expanded right. consciousness. And that's what they were going for. You know, they were going for like a, a, a person who could have that totality of both genders because, you know... Frank Herbert is is gendered. He's and, well, both sexes because he's extremely essentialist. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like <laughs> right. you but, know, yeah. And, this and isn't so, about gender. This is about like you know, and <laughs> throwing aside the fact that sex is a histogram and not a binary, but right, right. whatever. But, but anyway, so like my my point being though is that the thing I loved about the Bene Gesserit in the books is that they are the masters of their bodies. Like the whole test with the Gondjabar is, can you not pull your hand out even though it's on fire? Mm-hmm. And you've been told intellectually, if you pull your hand out, you're going to die. Like, can you do that? And which mm-hmm. is a, which is a mastery over your 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 body, your reflexes, your your animal reflexes. Right. I mean, like this is the thing I, I love about the biohacker genres is that it's like you have these people who um, there was a, a I think it was a short story of of somebody who was able to. Um, hack their own body so that they never had to sleep. They could do all of this really cool stuff, but it's like you know. I mean, there's always a cost to these. I things, was going to say, know, I've read, the, I've read a number of short stories about people trying to um, develop people who can't sleep, and they all end badly. Leguin yeah. <laughs> no, did one actually, but I th- I think that like when you so so they're all about the body and and how you can like. It's the duality of like the mind and the body working together, right? Where the Benedict Lelax are almost entirely about the body, right? They, and they're about the biohacking. I mean, they're the ones with the axolotl tanks, where they where they're, they're these like spoiler alert 
these giant pregnant women. All of their women are called tanks because they're basically there to no, well they, they they have been they have they have been like lobotomized like they're not any... yeah i mean it's and but it's just so like, it's like, like which, one mean, thing about the benedictine like that's why the benedictine are like the way they are is because their sense of morality is really different from the benedictine because they're both about the bodies, are a bunch but of in insults. different ways, you know. And I think that this is one of the things I love about Herbert is like just about everything in his books has a foil. It has mm. an equal and opposite thing that you can hold up as a mirror against it. Where you have Paul, right, and then you have Phaedra You have, you know, so all of these things are are mirrored in various ways. You have like Jessica and Leto, and then you have Count Fenring and his wife. You have. Like all of this stuff, like the the Dune itself, and you have Seleucus Secundus, the prison planet. You know, I mean, like these these things are all kind of counterpoints to each other, so that you can see them in isolation. Like you can't have good without bad. Or, you know, you can't have an understanding of you know the the Bene Gesserit without the Bene Tleilax. You so you have all of these things that sort of play off of each other. And I don't know if it was conscious on his part, but he definitely does it, and it's. It's pretty cool because then he can talk about something by talking about its foil, which is kind of neat. And and that's so that's that's what I really liked about the Bene Gesserit. That to bring it all back is why I hate in the movie when he he's like, well, you have these weirding modules and it's all about sound, and it's like, no, dude, it has nothing to do with sound. It has to do with complete control over your body and your reflexes to a point where you are a killing machine because you can like flick your pinky at somebody. And kill them with it, or whatever you know. I mean, because you have that much control over your over your body and your mind, and that's the thing I think that's lacking in the movie is that it's just sort of he didn't have to do it. You know, I mean, he could have used the the actual like Bene Gesserit training. Yeah. Okay. Instead but, of like train them, train them to use voice, train them to use okay you know, two points. Do techniques. Number one, I think that he was heavily fucked with, and I think that's clear in this movie. Like, every time there's a voiceover, that means somebody doesn't trust the audience. Yeah, that's true. No, I mean, no, 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 I'm sorry. Not every time there's a voiceover. Every time Iruulan speaks, other than the beginning. <laughs> right. Because she's the one who pops in and is like, and then it was two years of fighting with the blah, 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 right. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's Did we like, need to see that? No. No, we didn't, we didn't need that. We saw but, them running through the desert. We yeah, saw we get it. Gurney. We're we get saw, it. like, all but, of the stuff. But it's just, it's just one of those things where it's like the, the fundamental, like, sort of lack of... Um, belief in the audience to get it and may and maybe i have more um like belief in an audience than i should but i i kind of think that this sort of this sort of kind of court intrigue kind of fantasy slash science fiction this has been around for a long time this isn't new everybody gets it we we you know like we even got it back in 1986 or whenever this was made. We totally yeah. got it. And it really holds up. And it really holds up. I mean, you know, except for the parts that don't. So, number one, I think that um, Lynch was heavily fucked with. And it's, he didn't necessarily put in those wording modules. Who even fucking knows, right? I mean, he but, did. Yeah. But number two, if he did, and I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth here. Because, like, I think that it makes that, like this is a really complicated world. You know, like you just went on on like a very long rampage and, and bringing in things from later books because the Ben and Tulax, I don't even know. They're not in the first they're three. Pro- they, they're, sure. they're mentioned really briefly 
Um, Menu machines on Ix. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're mentioned briefly, but it's not even a thing until later. Um, and like, is a really big thing by the time you're in the fifth and sixth books. But whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but while I'm saying that most audiences will get it, there is a fucking huge ton of ground to cover, and like, they don't even. I mean, they. <laughs> how do you even get across? Like all of that about the J- Benny Gesserit's yeah. like fighting s- style and the rest of it. I mean, they they do have a fight scene on Caladan before with with you know kind of showing the shield fighting and that whole thing. But like, how do you even then throw in all of that Benny Gesserit shit? You do it by when they first encounter, say, Stilgar's tribe, and Paul fucks off, and his mom grabs Stilgar by the throat, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh well, I guess you're really good at this fighting thing. She's like, show me your weirding way. And then they call it the weirding modules. And it's there's this connection between what the Bene Gesserit are doing and this sound thing, which yeah. is just not true. No, I mean, it's, it has it nothing is. to do with anything. Like the, the reason that Duke Leto's fighters were, were so powerful is because they were really, really well trained. That, and mm-hmm. that's it. They, yeah. didn't have, they didn't have a special technology they didn't have a prison planet to grow up on. It no. was just really good training. But more importantly, it was fierce and devout loyalty to the Duke. Because he inspired, and this is as much of an idiot as he was, that kind of idiocy inspires the most fierce and devout loyalty. Well, and that's what the book is about. And the other but the well, other it's not about anything. The other thing is exclusively like but. the you know, the the Canley the yeah. vendetta between mm-hmm. the Harkonnens and the Atreides has been going on for centuries. And that that is the whetstone that, that the Atreides sharpen themselves against. Yeah. Is it like literally everybody in the Atreides inner circle has a reason to hate the Harkonnens. Yeah, I mean, like there's a whole thing about like the Gurney's inkvine scar and, and I mean, his, everybody's and, got a and backstory his, of why they hate the Harkonnens. Yeah, right. I mean, just... Because I mean, Gurney, Gurney had a sister who was, you know, basically like die, died in a, like a, as a sex slave in a brothel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, all of, and the funny thing is that like all of these incredibly gifted, you know, people who came up through very harsh conditions and, and have very good reasons to hate the Harkonnens, mm-hmm. like that is ultimately what brings them down. Because Yui, like... Yui, who's their betrayer, he does he does it not because he wants to kill the Duke or betray the Duke. He does it because he wants to kill the Harkonnen. Yeah. And you know, and that and so it's like the it cuts both ways. Yeah, no, I mean I think that's true, but I think that's just the the like the Baron, his mutant talent is turning people turning elves into orcs you know what i mean like his his mutant talent is taking something that's good and twisting it into mm-hmm. something terrible like he manages to twist through for how into his own tool yeah he does know, which, which is impressive considering that like all he was doing it was was based on some sort of um i mean obviously the baron knew who the the traitor was he never told super that it wasn't just no you know but i mean that's the, he's he's the master of that kind of manipulation which i think like that's the thing i really love about frank herbert is that he does a really good job of psychological states 
that it's like this. He 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 talks about like the the loyalty for the mm-hmm. duke and why people feel his loyalty, and it makes sense psychologically speaking. You can understand why these people would give their lives for him. Mm-hmm. You know, even though they're just like a cog in the machine, like they would totally they love him, they revere yeah. him. You know, and the, and and how the Baron manipulates people, and it makes sense. It's not like some sort of bullshit Elron Hubbard leverage amorphous hand waving. It's it's right. real. It's you, he explains why it is, and and that the the, the other although thing the really Baron like, does say at one point, and I thought this was kind of he says that like the, if you find the right level, you can move the world. Yeah, which which, which is, is exactly correct. Like, I mean, and and that's a through line of a lot of Herbert's work, where right. you know he he talks about how people get things done and how his characters have motivation and why they have motivation and that's mm-hmm. one of the things that makes it really great that makes it a really great story that you you know I mean and I get why in that stupid miniseries he made it a theatrical um approach where it was like this yeah. is theater because it's I mean it is like Shakespeare in in a, I mean it's it's a story that in makes... in a sort of hugeness and then also it's bloody Vendetta, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, mean, I mean, it's how a great many... story. Contrast yeah. it to Star Wars, right? Star Wars had come out a few hours, a, a few uh, hours. hours, a few <laughs> years earlier, and and it was it was it was a space fantasy mm-hmm. that basically had no plot. I mean, it, it like it's it's pretty much just a shoot 'em up. Like there's nothing psychological about it except for the "I am your father" part. I was gonna say there's counterpoint. Some issues, yeah, but I think that realistically, it's a... I mean, it's like you've got uh, you've got like Han Solo blasting things, Princess Leia equipping things, R two D two and C three PO being Abbott and Costello. Mm. I mean, it really it it doesn't have the psychological depth that. Dune no, has. I mean no, and, because and it is totally a monomyth, and that's what I think Lynch was working against. Was they 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 kind of thought they were like well here's a science fiction book let's do a science fiction movie, and they were right. they wanted Star Wars and what they got was something that they didn't know what to do with so, so they were it's like, like throw the, some it's like it. totally like the Quizette's Hatterack then <laughs> yeah it came, because it just we came know, a generation because, too early well actually that's Horowski was right I think that that's a really interesting point though is that you know because Star Wars is very much the whole monomyth. You know Joseph mm-hmm. Campbell situation. You the know, it's, quest. it's actually, it, no. It, let it me finish my fucking point. Roman. Yeah, and a Bildungsroman. Like it's you know it's completely like boy growing into man, assuming the mantle of power, etc., etc., etc. And issues. daddy issues and um, Dune. Also, daddy issues. No, and that is that is, but it is like almost <laughs> mommy issues. Yeah, just, just <laughs> let me finish. That it is. Um, it is almost like deliberately fucking with the monomyth. You know what I mean? Because yes. because because Paul is very very aware because of his presence, he is aware of the the end of the monomyth story and right. he is actively trying to fucking get the fuck out of it. Right. He's like I can see where this story is going. <laughs> and if we don't keep if we keep going the way we're going, we're going to end up there, you know? Yeah. And it's like it's it's a totally like bug out about how that's like for for somebody who like wakes up in that story, that's awful. Like that's yeah. the worst thing. Well, especially if you can see the future and you're a mentat and you can process all of the different timelines that may end up wherever. And in the first book, everything comes to a nexus point at 
the emperor's throne room on his ship. There are a number where, of nexus points, but yeah. Well, but I mean, that's the one that, that like Paul can't see beyond. And initially, like I think before he takes the water of life, he's, he's freaking out because he doesn't know how it ends. Mm-hmm. And that bugs him because up until that point, for that you know few years span of time, he's been able to see the future. Mm-hmm. He knows where he's going. He knows what to do and how it's going to work. I mean, he's know that he knows that the mother of all storms is coming, mm-hmm. and that they're going to like he knows how it's going to work because he's chosen that path. Mm-hmm. But when he gets to the part where he has to fight Phaedra Otha, he might die. He doesn't know. I mean, it's really cloudy at that point. Once he gets beyond that, and then you get into the next two books, so we're getting beyond the the film at this point. Mm-hmm. And because it, it into... ends very much right at the end of that. Yes, yeah. In the book too, because yeah. I just finished it. And and in the in the next ones, he gets he locks himself into a path that he can't even really deviate from because if he does, then it basically means the end of humanity, right? I mean, he's got to mm. he's got to walk this narrow path because because of all of the choices he made up to that point, mm. and now. He doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, he, he is basically blind, not even, he's blind. He's straight up blind, but it, he can still see because he knows what's happening. Because he's locked, so well. he's, he's locked into a certain vision, which, which is, you know, which is the, the problem. Yeah. And, and, and I think that on, on Herbert's part, it's a really fascinating story because it's like, what do you do with somebody who can see the future mm. and, you know. How how do you even do that? And, and how do you, and, it, how, and how do you avoid the traps of precincts? And how do you like once yeah, you've well, seen and that's it? Like what he's going for is to like remove that power from humanity completely from the universe. Well, because from sentience like, by ending up with the God Emperor, who is the ultimate. Like he can see everything in the future, and he can live forever. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, but speaking how do you like speaking who can see the future. Speaking of like we watched a ton of time travel movies recently right yeah wasn't that long ago yeah and pretty much all of them like um not all i mean there's a couple that break this but pretty much all of them um if you're able to see the future you are locked into that path and you can't get out of it mm-hmm. so like what what's the one where you like there's the one across the street and there's the camera Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like that one. Or Time Crimes. Like, these are all movies where, like, Precincts makes you locked. There's no fucking way out. You are on, right. the, tre- you are on the fucking treadmill. Right. And, this, and this sort of gets iterated over and over and over in time travel narratives. Yeah. Although the difference with Herbert is that he's, he, he suggests that there is a multiverse of possibility... Yeah. Until you realize that you want to go in a certain direction and and now you've got to put up with everything that's on that road. Yeah. You no, know, like that's You right. don't have your choice of gas station anymore. No. You're yeah, going right. straight. It might well, I mean, and he talks like he's like the 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 wide and easy path is the one that leads to stagnation and right. and some of the stuff is like kind of triumph of the will bullshit that I don't <laughs> agree with. But I do, I mean, I do sort of take his point in terms of time travel narratives that like, if you, if you like take the world, make it so this is possible, how do you break it? How do you break it? If you can see somebody trying to break it, you know what I mean? Like it ends up being. And and I think the the one that that kind of comes to mind is the, is like Ian's milkweed Mm -hmm. triptych, Mm -hmm. which. Um, the, the, so the, the, the main bad guy in that is a woman named Gretel. 
Greta? Mm-hmm. Greta. And she not only sees the future, but manipulates events such mm-hmm. that certain things happen, and she is evil. <laughs> but the problem is, I mean, the central problem of the entire trilogy is, how do you fight someone who can see, see the, the future? future? Yeah. I mean, you, you can't. You're just bone. I mean, ultimately, you can't. Is, well, is the yeah. End. And also, I mean, like, her, her motives are really inscrutable until you got to the... You know, until you can screw right. them, and then you understand. Then it's then, like, oh, then I it, guess then we're it, saving the world together. Then it, well, right, <laughs> and then it sort of locks into place, and you get it. But it, yeah. Anyway, um, what I think is interesting is that we have been talking for over a half an hour, and we still haven't really addressed. Um, let's just do that clearly. <laughs> okay, I think so there, there's a level on which we don't even want to talk about it. The, well, no, what I is mean, that there's about? Just too much to say. I think the, the, so. Okay, we watched back to back the director's cut and the like extended version. Mm-hmm. And the most notable thing I think that I was surprised by was that they cut out all the gross bits, right? Like the Baron spitting on. Jessica. You mean on the TV version? Uh, well, that's the extended version, right? Which is the TV version. Basically. Okay, so so in that they 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 cut out. The Baron spitting on Jessica's face, which is pretty gross, but I think it's incredibly moving. Like, it's a powerful scene, you know. Where well, and like, as I said earlier, the whole, like, spitting thing for Fremen is the way you sign the deal because yeah, here, this, this is, is the my, water of my, my body. body. Yeah, yeah, it's like, so, I mean, to, like, as a counterpoint to show him just sort of doing this casually as, like, a, as a assault. Yeah. And and they also cut out chunks of the Baron with his doctor, like you know, kind of like draining, draining his, his boils. They well, cut out the part where the 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 boy shows up with flowers, and then the Baron pops out his heart plug and gets blood all over him, which is pretty gross. And, and the flowers, you know, and the flowers. But oh, and the and the and the guy with the the ear that's gone and it's sewn down, and oh, yeah, there's and the a woman person the, like, who's got like eyeballs. Got Stuck in her eyes. It's, it's sort of like classic kind of lynchy and grotesquery, actually. I yeah, mean, no, it's totally a sideshow. But I think it's to a, to a purpose, and especially with, with Frank Herbert's Dune, mm-hmm. where, and again, to bring it all back to my original thesis about the Bene Gesserit and how mm-hmm. weirding modules are stupid, they're all about their bodies and about how people use their bodies. And the Harkonnens, as mm-hmm. the foil to the Atreides, mm-hmm. are all about how to pervert bodies. Mm-hmm. And how to make them um, betray you. And that's mm-hmm. everything that they do is all about like having your body betray you. Like Thufer with his with his poison mm-hmm. and you know the heart plugs. There's, there's so much poison. And, like you know you want you want you you want to have your 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 guard not be able to hear and see. So you take their eyes out and you sew their ears shut. I mm-hmm. mean, and that's a really Harkonnen way of dealing with 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 bodies as right. sort of meat you know i mean and there's there's the scene in dune where it's like why are those two like short people sticking things in the upside down cow when yeah it, walks in and rips the tongue out and then eats it uh, sort of just, casually and i think that that's pointing to this sort of like this def- deformation of the body right that the, that the harkonnens and are, like are livestock all and, and to contrast and the I mean, abattoir yeah i mean the reason he's talking about like biological and death and mm. and yeah, horrific yeah. mutilation because we are contrasting that with the atreides who are breeding this or training this fighting force that is the peak of physical perfection the bene Gesserit are all about like and, and she's training paul 
to be the peak of, of like the, the melding of physical and mental power. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're training him to be a mentat, which, you know, is a big deal. And they don't really talk about that in the movie at all. They don't, but that's they don't actually talk. Because they the don't even talk about it much in the book. He's able to be the Kwisatz Haderach, and the Bene Gesserit did not see this coming, is because he, he had had all that Mentat training, and he was able to piece together all of those timelines like a human computer would. Right. Like you Although, need that I mean, skill the, to be able to, to navigate everything that he's doing. I think that some of that is like is it it's really only made very clear in the later books cuz he doesn't yeah, he no does forward. not talk about it much but i mean he kind of alludes to the fact that he could be a, like i mean one of his possible futures is joining the spacing guild yep he could be a guild navigator yep he could be a bus be driver like, it's that would not be horrible. Work. That would be like It'd Mario be Andretti <laughs> being a truck driver. You know, I mean, like, what's the fucking point? But he could do that. I mean, that's one of the things that, that mm-hmm. he could do. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really like the idea of the of the, the the grotesquerie, and to have that cut out of the extended version was kind of jarring, and and it made me realize that it's like I actually really do like, even though it's gross. And it seemed over the top at the time, there is reason for, for it. Right. It's not just gross for gross's sake. It's to prove a point about how the, the Atreides and the Harkonnen are fundamentally opposed on a lot of different levels. Mm-hmm. Philosophically, mm-hmm. as well as politically. You yeah. know? I mean, it's just all... Of it. And then when you find out later that it's like, you know, Luke, I am your father. The, um, the, the Baron the, is... The, his... the Baron is Jessica's father. father um and then and then it all makes sense you know like the whole breeding program makes sense where you're like oh i see they're trying to like you know they're not just trying to like cement the political union they're trying to cement the bloodlines Mm -hmm. to you know i mean this is all part of their their big master plan that jessica screwed up by being an idiot and the worst bene Gesserit on the planet although arguably i mean she like you know there's a whole level on which this is all a bunch of fate bullshit and like Mm -hmm. You know, she wasn't an idiot. She was a vessel of fate, and she did the only thing that and could, she was trying could to be done. Her son, so it was she the only thing that could be done. A, a savior, a, yeah. a, a, a messiah. Yeah. Well, I mean, be, and and some of it is it's just like all of or these. Or was he always a messiah? Right. And this well, is how it works. but but I mean, all of these choices, like in the moment, they're they're serving a. a I mean, I, I especially noticed it this time watching or not watching, but reading the book again. That like all of these like points um, that end up becoming part of the sort of like mythos of of Paul, mm-hmm. like all of these points, they're just doing shit. They're doing the needful. They're doing what they need to mm-hmm. do to get through the next two hours, the next week. Let exactly. me finish. And so they like, you know, so they're just doing the needful. And as Paul gains more and more presence, more and more ability to see the future. Mm-hmm. He starts commenting in the moment where he's like, and later, everybody will say, I killed all of those 20 dudes. <laughs> right. Later, right. this will all be misinterpreted as something else. Except, isn't this exactly what all those time travel movies do? When you take a picture of the future, mm-hmm. you know, and then it, you will inexorably reach that future. The whole book is about the prophecy of the Messiah <laughs> and how Paul then fulfills that prophecy. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the point? 
Yeah, it's no. It's a time travel book in that you know where it's going. Right. And it goes there. And, and it goes there. by whatever means it gets there, you know, I mean, yeah, and you can you can watch it happen in real time, but you get there. I mean, at the end of the book, he's the Messiah, and then you realize that, like, okay, legit, actually, he is a Messiah. It's not even fake. Well, like, because... no cap, because, this guy's a Messiah. Because on one level, he's sort of pruning the possible futures down to one thing. At the same time, history is pruning the past to make it work <laughs> yeah no that too. It, there's like a parallel there which is actually kind of beautiful yeah. i just love it but i mean God, i love this so, fucking book <laughs> so paul's stated motivation is is basically revenge for his his father's death right mm-hmm. and, you know his father was killed by the harkonnens like standing this candle thing where he's now going to it's been going on for Baron. generations but i mean it's kind of overkill. I mean, like he's he's taking the sledgehammer to kill a fly at this point because he's mm-hmm. the, he's the universe's super being, and it turns out that what he needs to do is just become the new emperor, mm-hmm. sort of casually at the end. I mean, it's not even and and that's one of the things that's I like really an afterthought. He doesn't even books. give a shit. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a means to an end. I mean, like, but he gets locked into that future of jihad where he sends the fremen out into the universe and they cleanse the universe. In the worst possible, and cleanse is a euphemism connotation of the word. But for I mean, that's murder. one of the things that I that I ethnic really... cleanse the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's like we're going to we're going to enforce freedom with bayonets. You know, yeah. I mean, like no, you will bad. be free, yeah. dead or alive, you right? Know? Preferably, yeah. Um, Whichever is the, we can do this the easy way. We can do this <laughs> real easy yeah. way. Yeah, it's my way. <laughs> Our way or the highway. <laughs> oh, I still hate that line so much. Yeah, but, but I mean that's that's one of the things I really, really, really love about the the books is that they they managed to to kind of convey all of this nuance, this these like the the, the ways that people talk about stuff and how people think about it mm. and then react to it and then other people like saying things knowing that people will because they have this mental model of somebody mm-hmm. that they can which also shows up in the Dosati experiment they, mm-hmm. they create these mental images of of people and everybody gets together and sort of creates it they're almost so like like can, mem- memory castles yeah so that, so that you can then predict what yeah. may happen when you play it forward and that's something that's that's really lacking from the movie that I think again he could have done, but he chose not to. And I think, and or he was fucked out of it because well, I feel like there's a there, also there's I mean, a the movie, sense there's of no a lot way of one movie to... can capture everything that's in that. Right, film. you would need a Lord of the Rings extended version trilogy to right. start doing it justice. Well, which is which is sad because like so his version is maybe two hours maybe, and then the extended version is maybe three hours. That extended version did not make anything better. No, that was really all a mess. Didn't. It was disastrous. And like, and I just, I kind of feel bad for thinking that it was ever okay. Yeah. <laughs> because it yeah. wasn't. It no, wasn't it okay. Wasn't. You know, it, just because there's more stuff and it doesn't make I guess, it better. And, I guess and the I, only thing I liked about it was the, uh, there are a couple extra Linda Hunt as the shout out Mape scenes. And those are the only ones that I like. Yeah, I, I mean, but I don't know. When I when I went into this, I still like the extended version better, and it turns out after seeing them back to back, I really don't. No, like the extended version is is kind of not worth watching. No, it's and bad. I probably am not going to watch it again. No, I don't think so. I would totally watch this this uh, regular theatrical release many many times. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually getting inspired to go read the books before you know. T minus. You got weeks. you got 
T-minus two weeks, man. Okay, so I guess there are a couple of things I want to say about the movie. I feel like we did talk about how I thought the casting was all pretty great. And I think the... I don't know that... It, did I talk about how I think the sets are really great? No. Not the sets. I mean, I think the costuming... The costuming is... More than the sets, definitely really the costuming good. is fucking just 100%. What I've seen of the costuming, I'm not as happy. Yeah, we'll it's see. Fine yeah, all, but I am not as happy with... But I just, I just got all excited about it again watching this because, like, you know, I mean, I mean the Hunter Seeker where it comes out and it's super steampunk. It's super, and it's steampunk. this little thing. It's like glass and metal. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful work of art. It's a beautiful killing machine. Yeah. I just fucking love it. Yeah, and like, I the mean, glow globes. They just sort of float around and they have little wings on them. That's yeah, non functional. Although the one thing that that Lynch. Failed to capture were the ornithopters. Literally, he everyone has failed. Completely screwed them up. Yeah, no. I mean, they're every, just terrible. Every, and I'm really hoping the Villeneuve doesn't fuck it up the way that everybody else has. I think that you. It's I think it's clear it when you have an ornithopter. It has it's flapping a wings, except with wings. Yeah, I mean, like I, you know, so I just again, I just reread it, and you know, you get things in your head sometimes, like you know. Because the first couple chapters suck, right? Yeah. So I think, oh, you know, he's probably not that great of a writer. Or, you know what I mean? You kind of right. get that in your head. That yeah. It's just like, he's shitty. And that's not true. You know, like the like the way he describes presence as being like a, a billowing piece of cloth that you can kind of mm-hmm. see that, like, it's, and he, he talks about it over and over and I'm just, and it's, and it's really beautifully done. But he, so there's a scene and he also, this is not this is not rare, but not as common as it should be that um, people don't write action scenes very well, and you yeah. don't know where people are, and you don't know what's actually happening. Um, he writes them really well, really yeah. beautifully, and oh, like yeah. so much more beautifully than Lynch filmed them with the the fencing robot, where oh, it's like gosh. I'm going to shoot some sound at the fencing robot, but. In the book, they're they're really well described. Yeah, fencing scenes. So, but there's this great scene with the so the the fremen are hanging out with someone I can't remember. Doesn't matter. And they're like, oh yeah, what are those? Are those the Sadakar? Oh, they fought pretty well. I mean, we had murdered them all. But in you know the other yeah. person is like, I can't even believe that you murdered all those Sadakar. Anyway, yeah. so there's a scene where there's like a troop carrier, a Sadakar troop carrier. And one of the Fremen, like, in an ornithopter, uh, decides to sort of, like, suicide mission himself into it. And he des- they describe the ornithopter coming down and tucking its wings like a bird of prey that is diving. Mm-hmm. And it dives into the troop carrier and then... And it's like, oh, I can totally see what that... Um, what an ornithopter looks like now. Yeah. I can totally like see it. It's they look like birds. Beautiful. Like it it is set, like it's a really <laughs> great image. And yeah, literally no one has done it. Nobody has done it. I the suspect that Lynch this one won't do it either. Lynch does not capture um space very well at all. He doesn't uh, and part of the problem is so like your introduction to Caladan is uh, albeit beautiful Wings mm-hmm. crashing on rocks, mm-hmm. and then interior, 
interior, interior, interior. Like, he doesn't do landscape as well, which with Dune is a landscape picture. And so he goes out, films Dunes, like, yeah, okay, you're in a desert, I guess. There's Dunes there. Mm-hmm. You don't really get a sense of scale. I mean, and part of it was the, the visual effects at the time were super limited. Mm-hmm. But part of it is that as a director, I think he lacks that kind of landscape vision yeah, that Dune really needs. Not and a... what I've heard is Villeneuve nails it. Yeah, like I he can nails see it. it to the wall. And so, like, I'm really excited about that, just in terms of because Dune is, I mean, it's 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 a landscape picture. I mean, it's an homage to this planet. You know, I gotta and you don't even get to see the planet. I've got to say that that's actually kind of blowing my mind a little bit that you call it a landscape picture because that's totally what it needs. It is completely a landscape picture. Yeah, and Lynch and, doesn't do that. And like, and and landscape pictures tend to be like. Old Testament westerns, <laughs> and yeah. so that is so fucking perfect for yeah. Dune. No, it totally is. So oh. I'm, I'm actually like kind of looking forward to. It. I did, I did read a review. I, I was kind of hoping to like limit my exposure. Yeah, yeah. Before I Going go cold. See it. I, I like would like it. to see it in IMAX, but we're not close enough to an IMAX to see it in one. No, but but we um, can see it on the big screen. The review that I read. <laughs> It's funny because I was reading and they were talking about this stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, no, that sounds really cool, whatever, because they were talking about the cinematics and, and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the choices, whatever. And like halfway through the review, they're like, and I've never actually read Dune. And I'm like, oh no. my God, go home. <laughs> Not everybody has to read the book. Oh no, I know. I mean, it's just a science fiction film. But it's, I mean, the, the problem is it's an adaptation of one of, one of the finest pieces of English language literature ever written. (laughs) I love Dune and I can't go along with that. Really? Yeah. I mean... I love it. I don't think it's... It's not in your top 100 books of all time? It it might be in my top 100. It's not in my top 10. Really? Yeah. It's in my top 10. It's not in my top 10. Well, your top 10 is stupid. No. No. My top ten's amazing. What's your top ten? I'm not doing that right now. I'm just saying. You know, <laughs> Dune's on it. No. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so, the other thing I wanted to say about... There there are a couple of scenes that are landscape picture Like, you know, when he goes to, like, call the worm and, like, he's there with a the thumper over his shoulder and then there's all the Fremen in the background. That's pretty great. No, I like it's it. real small, though. Yeah, fine, whatever. I mean, you don't really get a sense of scale with that stuff because he just didn't. I do like that. that I do like that limit image. The thing I did really like, though, like is is that he managed to. (laughs) Well, you can tell he totally saw the the Hodorowski book before he made the movie because there is a there's a scene when you're on Gaty Prime and there's this huge face with an open mouth and like that was Hodorowski's thing where like the the ornithopter would fly Fly in the open mouth and the mouth would close. And, and that's what he says in the movie. And, <laughs> and it's there. I mean, like, there are so many fingerprints of Hodorowski all over this. Yeah. that makes me really happy. You know, I mean, also happy that, like, clearly Lynch failed to to carry out Hodorowski's real vision. Well, but, but Lynch but is Lynch. He's not going to do like, it. Hodorowski, like, laid all this groundwork that all of these other movies picked up, including Dune, mm-hmm. picked up and ran with. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. What was I going to say? I totally lost it. Ugh, it doesn't matter. I was going to say that the soundtrack slapped. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's it's really, it's recognizable. I mean, that's one of those every frame of painting things where mm-hmm. they talk about, like, you know, quick, what's the Marvel theme? And it's like, ooh. Yeah, I can't do I it. Remember, yeah. You know, but you totally, I mean, you can hum along with the Doom. Yeah, the no, I just, I mean, it was like, a, like of an era. I don't feel like I've seen this as often anymore where you have like a single, uh, you know, a single musical artist doing all of the score mm-hmm. and all of the, like... I mean, it's kind of a bold choice to have really harsh, distorted electrical guitars as your, one of I your think main it's, themes. I think it's kind of great. No, I mean, I, like I just... It. it totally slaps. It's really amazing. And I feel like I had a point somewhere and then it just got lost, but that's the way things go, right? The soundtrack slapping? No, no, I think I said that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, I think not only would I watch the theatrical release again, I may want to watch it after I watch the Villeneuve, just mm-hmm. to, like, compare and contrast. Yeah, like although I, I do feel like we're going to go to the theater and we're going to watch it, and then we're going to come home and we're going to watch it on HBO. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, think I that think we should, we should do both. Because it's going to be amazing. Yeah, but also I just feel like, I mean, I have such deep, deep, deep familiarity with the Lynch Dune. Yeah. That like even talking about the Villeneuve version, I I need to go over it a couple I just times. Hope he doesn't pull a Phantom Menace, man. Oh Christ! I just I just really think that I don't know. I'm hopeful. I'm really, I am hopeful. really hopeful. I think it could be amazing. I mean, it's not going to be Lynch. Nope. But then again, Lynch's Dune wasn't really Lynch. No, I mean, because like, cause I, cause I can admit if I step back just a little bit, um, that. The Lynch's Dune is probably inaccessible for, to pretty much anybody <laughs> but me. Yeah. yeah. Or not, whatever. Like, that it's had. pretty inaccessible. Like, a, you know, formative childhood experience with it. <laughs> Everyone else yeah. is like, what? Like, what the fuck is even going on? Yeah. You know, because it doesn't actually make a ton of sense. And no. some of it is, like, legitimately stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but it's. It's our legitimate. But I love it. I just love it so much. I don't love the extended version. But I do love that. Yeah. Anyway, so I guess high five? Yeah. High five. The high-handed enemy.